0: hi i'm anna claire harper and you're listening to the return property and investment podcast sharing insights and information on key topics from real estate technology to sustainability feel free to get in touch or follow recent news by connecting on linkedin anna claire harper hi and welcome to the return property and investment podcast i'm anna and in this episode i'm joined by nicole bremler who is a property developer investor and founder of east state and london central developments uh, but also several other companies which we'll talk about in a bit um and she started out in property in 2010 with one rundown property in hackney and very little experience
1: yeah this is it's the house that we're in right oh now Oh my very it's
0: so beautiful fast forward a few years over 20 120 million in property projects so talk about that in a bit more detail but Nicole has a fascinating story to tell and I'm really excited to have the opportunity to discuss it with you. Welcome to the podcast and thanks for
1: joining. Thank you Anna.
0: So firstly you're uh, brilliantly placed to comment on the small and medium-sized investment and development space um, as that's your niche. Can you give an overview of what's happening in the market, what's changed and perhaps what you see the opportunities being?
1: Yeah, the market's really changed over the last few years. When I first started, anyone could be a developer and many, many people entered the market. That's when you and I both entered. It was really easy. Everything I touched turned to gold and especially around here in Hackney, these smaller areas or these up-and-coming areas. I would buy something and sell them within 10 days if I was unlucky and make quite a lot of money on them. And property development was really, really easy. Post stamp duty changes, post uh, uh, Brexit, post the Section 24 changes, this three-pronged perfect storm, things are really difficult out there and I think those who haven't been in in property for decades are finally realising that this is not the licence to print money that they first thought it was. So returns are normalised and if you look at the average returns over... they're pretty much the same as the stock market in property and people don't like that truth but it is a truth it's an inconvenient truth and also it's one of the most taxed of all of the asset classes as well there are more taxes on property than on any other investments so it sounds like I'm being quite negative but also properties enabled me to have this fantastic career that I otherwise wouldn't have had so I'm, I'm really grateful to that and I'm also able to Uh, invest and develop out some really beautiful properties that I'm really proud of and especially around this Hackney area I love the fact that I can walk around and say I did that I did that I did that and drive my friends crazy but yeah the state of the market is is not great right now Mm. and if people are looking to get involved I would probably tell them to consider investing in other people's properties right now rather than trying to develop them out themselves investing in perhaps something more conservative such as a fund where they're looking at high yielding properties Mm -hmm. or uh, investing through their if ISIS or investing in crowdfunding that sort of thing i think is a better option right now
0: it's a super interesting point you make so the the challenges have kind of created uh, like you say a bit of a storm in the market but in a way, it's it's professionalisation, right? It's becoming more like the stock market where you have an operator on one side and an investor on the other side, and they really don't um, interact in the same way as they had in property.
1: No, that's exactly right. And it really is a story of two halves. If you Talked to. I, I had the fortunate opportunity to interview Tom Pidgeley at the Developers Boardroom dinner recently, and he's the chairman and founder of Barclay Homes. One of I think he is the largest home home builder in the UK, and he's having a great time right now. He's got a lot of cash. They don't have to rely on high street banks the same way as we do, as developers. They are able to pick up sites because landowners want them to buy it so there's no there's no competition when you're building out 1500 homes on a site there's very very little competition so they're having a really good time of it and i think as you say it is about professionalizing the industry and those section 24 tax changes were definitely about professionalizing the industry and flushing out small landlords unfortunately
0: just pick up on one thing you said and this wasn't on the plan I sent you but um, I think you're so right about the finance side of things is in in some senses banks are restrictive but in another sense I suppose there are opportunities in that space where technology is enabling a more innovative more alternative modern approach and that in a way is is the big opportunity I guess that's what you're saying
1: definitely if you look at crowdfunding as a as one example of this technology shift we, we've raised over 6.4 million from the crowd. And that was, that's a new form of finance that wasn't available even five years earlier. And it is the rise of this the technology that's enabled this. And there are more and more entrants coming into that market, but there are different ways of uh, offering investments to private clients and sophisticated investors within the space. So yeah, it, it is completely changing.
0: Cool. Um, so when you're active in property development, your approach is very much based on high quality design and finish. How did you come to realise that that was your approach, which compares quite starkly with kind of Barkley Homes' um, mass market approach? Uh, how did you come to realise that that was the right approach? Um, and how do you, when you're looking at a potential development opportunity, how do you fit your criteria with that?
1: Yeah. So yeah, but it was definitely a conscious decision to go upmarket when I first started looking in Hackney. What I was buying were HMOs at the time. They were called bedsits. They weren't. They didn't have this fancy pants name. So I was buying HMOs and converting them back into luxury family homes, and and it worked in in London. Uh, sorry, in Hackney and Islington at that time because people didn't want to live in HMOs around these areas. There was a huge demand for people moving from outside of London, sick of commuting, moving into London, people moving from West London because they were priced out over into East London. They could sell up their £5 million homes in West London and for £2 million, or one and a half to £2 million, buy something amazing over in East London. So it just made sense. And also it's closer to Canary Wharf in those areas. So that that was what the demand was. And also... I want to create things I'm really proud of and I I love going into some of our higher end developments and just seeing how beautiful they are. I I feel proud of those and what's interesting you talk about Buckley Homes is that Tom Pidgeley feels very proud about what he's putting in and he puts in these designer kitchens and I think they are for the top end of their units but um, yeah it, it is a different offering. We have huge ceilings and uh, Alvi, my business partner on the development side, he is fastidious about making ceiling heights as high as possible, which gives you this lovely feel when you go in. It feels more luxurious than a, a mass market apartment. Mm.
0: I wasn't meaning to. No. <laughs> By the way, it was more just that the, I suppose, if you looked at their core driver it's more about the number of units than about it absolutely is. whereas you typically focused on yeah finishing my
1: first spot in London was a back home actually the ah. first spot I ever bought in London yeah and it made more money over eight years than I did <laughs> And that's the thing it's
0: exactly plays to your point earlier which is that there's a lot of luck involved in making a good return previously but it's no longer the way right it's not the way. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So in and, and terms of criteria for when, you, when you're looking at development deals, really it's just what's the demand and how can you fit what the available stock is into that? Mm.
1: Exactly. And there's so many fads around. And if you you think about the fads that we've seen in the time we've been in property and we had all, the HMOs and we've had the service accommodation, we've had the student accommodation, we've had all of these different fads. And yes, you can jump on a fad early and ride it. But really, I think you look at the the rich list and the property investors on the rich list they really have one strategy and that's buy and hold for a very long time Mm.
0: yeah absolutely um so can you talk me through a recent project um what you did to it what the forecast returns were financial and non-financial impacts and actually it'd be really interesting to dig into both the positives and the negatives here because the reality of it is and I think that's something we need to pull out really is is it can be both yeah you don't definitely. always get what you're expecting and that's whole point of development is you're taking a risk mm-hmm. in order to get a big return but actually sometimes the risk is relevant you need to think about
1: it yeah let me give you a let me give you an example that's painful. Okay. Let's keep it real. Yeah, I think
0: it's really important,
1: actually. Yeah, no, I always keep it real. Uh, yeah, so let me let me talk you through Harrington Gardens. So Harrington Gardens was, I think, the second of our crowdfunded projects. We Avi and I bought that in two thousand and fifteen. We paid cash. We paid two point zero five, or around. It was over two million anyway. We then needed to buy a license to A license to renovate and extend the, the leasehold. So that cost us 650000 Then we decided to crowdfund for the development costs So we raised around 730000 from the crowd. We had a forecast uh, valuation GDV based on the a valuer. A valuer came in and they put it at $4.6 So we thought yeah $4.6 is the value and we were happy with that. So we renovated the property all in, I believe we've spent about 3.6, 3.7 million. So just after we crowdfunded, we had the Brexit announcement. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge blow to us. That completely sideswiped us because this is a luxury property in South Kensington. We were hopeful that we could get even 2,000 a square foot for this particular property. And... Now Brexit came in, it just completely took the whole market. It took the wind out of the market completely. So we overran by about three months as well due to just late delivery of things, which were completely out of our control and incredibly frustrating. And then we put it on the market in late summer 2017 and sat on it and sat on it and sat on it. And up until recently, we'd not had a single offer on the property. And then we recently had an offer that's just not high enough, unfortunately. But it's, it's comforting to know that there, there was an offer, but it was someone being quite cheeky. Uh, but I'm all fine. I'm fine with cheeky offers. So now we're sitting on this asset that was on the market at 5.25 million. We've been sitting on it for well over 12 months and we're having to pay interest monthly. And we have had short-term tenants. We had a really good short-term tenant in for about, um, I think, four months and that was great. That helped pay the interest. But we're having to pay the interest. We've also got all these crowdfunding uh, investors that are really not happy. So we had to manage that as well. We didn't have to. But what we decided to do was do a managed exit of the, the crowdfunding investors. So we gave them three options. Number one was to exit without a return late last year. The Number two was to exit with a, a small return in uh, February, March this year. And then the rest was staying in for the actual return. So we've been able to manage the exit Uh, Yeah, it's been challenging because of course crowdfunding investors sometimes don't understand that they're in for the up as well as the down and they think that if you forecast it's going to get to 4.6 then therefore it has to when I don't have a crystal ball I don't know what these properties are going to sell for I didn't know no one knew Brexit was going to happen until and no one knew the impact that it was going to have on our economy. So um, it's, it's been a, a massive blow, that particular project. And But to look at the positives now, it is an absolutely stunning apartment. It is really one of a kind. There is nothing like it on the market. We, our architect, Amita Mahindra, did a fantastic job of the interiors and of the, the space, and we're really proud of it. It's just a shame that there are no buyers in the market right now and yeah we just can't get to the price that we want so yeah there's one of my most recent <laughs> most recent developments luckily we've got a few really, positive, really positive ones too that are coming to the market after being completed recently so that's um good news but yeah Harrington's just been a a difficult one a yeah. challenge
0: and you pulled out some really interesting points in there and we didn't have time to dig into all of them um but one Thing that you mentioned is around the. I mean, I guess in a way, implicitly, it's about affordability, right? The the prime stuff worked for a long time because there was money coming into the UK. There was money in the
1: UK, and yeah, they they're out of the market now. Yeah,
0: and Brexit has I I guess exaggerated or the idea of Brexit, let's say, um, <laughs> has exaggerated that affordability constraint of ordinary yeah, mass absolutely. market and, and taken away that higher end. Yeah. So I mean, I spoke to some fund managers about what their response was in the property space, and they were downvaluing their whole portfolio by 20, 30% on the day of the announcement. So it's it's affected everyone, right?
1: It is. And you look, the sterling dropped by about 20, 21%. Mm-hmm. So you think that that would encourage some demand. And to a certain extent, it's probably propped up the market a little bit with foreign investors. You imagine if the sterling hadn't have reacted in that way, what the down would have been. But, uh, yeah, there's still no foreign buyers want to buy right now while we've got the uncertainty of this Brexit looming.
0: Okay. Well, so it's not an overall rosy picture, but I I think that brings (laughs) me nicely onto the next question, which is uh, more recently, you've been working on some other and very exciting businesses, some of them related to property, some of them not so much. What else are you doing and why? Um, And how does it all tie in?
1: Yeah, sure. I'm going to answer that question. But first of all, I just want to go back to the 120 million in property because that often gets bandied about and people don't quite understand this oh well she must have 120 million invested in property no that's not it It, it's gdv so at the moment we're working on properties worth over 120 million and i think some people get confused about that that's the gdv and i don't own all of that i own a proportion of every single one of those properties that we're working on uh from five percent i mean one property right through to over 50% on others so I think people misunderstand that and think that yes she's worth 100 she's saying she's claiming no, that she's worth no, 120 yeah. million but that's not it I'm definitely not worth 120 million oh, you <laughs> have had
0: the um you know the opportunity to make make key decisions and leave key decisions on that amount and, and yeah as that's
1: absolutely yeah and that's um, so I'm working on that and yeah so the other really exciting things that I'm working on I invested in uh bamboo auctions about I think it was over a year ago now uh, with Robin Rathor and that's just been a brilliant little business because it's it's uh, it's a hedge to the market when people are uh, when the market is down people put properties up for auction and so yeah it's, it's a great business going really well Robin's doing a fantastic job over there really excited to be part of that the other company I'm working with is uh, we set up a, a record label and music publishing company called One Louder and that is very exciting because as of today we've just published our first single so it sounds amazing <laughs> check out my socials to listen to that I've just posted it all today so it's called Crave Me and it really it's not me singing by the way uh, but it is such a good single I'm really really proud of that <laughs> amazing uh, yeah and then I've invested in a music merchandise company uh, I've an activewear label, a women's activewear label as well. I always forget that one. And I've got some great collaborations that will be announced. One is with Developers Boardroom, where we're doing an accelerator program, working with Daniel Priestley and Alex Harrington Griffin on that. And then I've got one other really big one that I can't announce yet, but maybe by the time that this is published, I will announce that. And And I've got a podcast, which I'm loving. And a best-selling book, right? I had a best-selling book. Yeah, I should have had that right out in front. No,
0: so lots of of different stuff. And so in some sense, some of those projects are in a way a hedge against the more risky development side of things and some of them are just for fun.
1: Yeah, they are. And it it was just looking at my portfolio along with um, wealth manager Paula Wachford and realising that I was completely exposed to property. I had nothing else in my portfolio and I felt really nervous about that, especially as the market dips and that's everything that I've got is exposed. And so, yeah, investing in these other businesses is a way of um, diversifying that exposure and, and it's really fun. It's really fun working with very passionate enthusiastic business owners and providing the seed capital and advice to them cool
0: so just getting towards the end if you have the chance to give one piece of advice to aspiring small and medium-sized property developers or investors in the UK what would it be
1: overestimate the time required by 25 percent overestimate the cash required by at least 25 percent and hold back 20 percent of the cash that you need for the for the build or the development as cash and just do not touch it unless you absolutely have to. I just think cash is absolute king. And For me, the all the stresses that I've had and the biggest issues that I've had with any property development projects has been cash. And so if you're well-funded and have that reserve, that war chest there, you're perfectly placed to get a good night's sleep.
0: It's so funny you say that because a lot of focus for property investors traditionally has been on cash flow. And having also been in the investment development space for a couple of years now, I totally disagree. I think liquidity is key, and it sounds like that's um, absolutely yeah the (laughs) game. Cash is the game. Okay, so if listeners want to find out more about you, your your businesses, um, and follow what you're up to, how can they do that?
1: across social media so i'm on linkedin i've maxed out my followers i'm on You're over right, thirty thousand. <laughs> so just yep. follow me on linkedin uh instagram at ns bremner. uh twitter at nicole bremner facebook nicole s bremner and uh my website nicolebremner.com forward slash podcasts for my podcast as well cool okay
0: well thank you so much for joining me and sharing your insights um i'm in the process of shaking out my own online presence but at the moment the best place to find out more about the podcast is thereturnpodcast.com me personally on linkedin anna claire harper with no i um anna.claire.harper with no i on instagram and as ever if you've enjoyed or learned something from this episode please leave a review where you get your podcast from as this really helps other people to find a benefit from the podcast so thank you for joining thank you and thank you for listening bye Bye. Thanks for listening to The Return. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review as
1: this really helps other people to find the podcast.